Hey, everyone. As always, thank you so much for listening. As always, you can see all, listen to all the episodes at makingthebrand.co. Uh, we have a great one today. We're talking pancakes, um, something near and dear to my heart, probably near and dear to a lot of your hearts. Uh, there are a few things better than a big fluffy stack of pancakes. So we're talking about a great pancake company today. Um as always, reach out via Twitter at Billy underscore Draper if you have uh, an idea of a company or a person you'd like to hear interviewed, you'd like to hear their story, uh, feel free to let me know. A few of you have done that, and we are in the works of, of recruiting some folks onto the show, and so stay tuned for that. Other than that, have a wonderful summer, um, and uh, I will talk to you soon. Thank you all. Love you. I remember sitting there thinking to myself for so many years, man, am I just chasing a dumb dream that's never going to go anywhere? Am I just wasting my time and wasting my career building years? You know, your, your 20s and early 30s are real um, career building years. Welcome, everybody, to the Making the Brand podcast. My name is Billy Draper. I'm a venture capitalist at Draper Associates. But on this show, we're going to be talking about brands. We'll talk to founders and leaders of growing consumer companies that are finding ways to stand out, differentiate, and delight their customers. On today's show, we have Joel Clark, founder and CEO of Kodiak Cakes. Joel teaches us about the power of perseverance in starting a business. So today on the show, we have an awesome guest. Uh, I am particularly excited about this because I am a fan of, of the product. Um, Joel Clark, the founder and CEO of Kodiak Cakes. Joel, thank you so much for coming on. You got it, Billy. It's good to be here. So first off, what is Kodiak Cakes? Well, we started out as a flapjack and waffle mix. And so most people still know us as that. And it was a, it's a whole grain um, and a lot of our products are high in protein and, um, add water only flapjack and waffle mix started out as an old family recipe. And, um, so now we've gotten into other products too, like frozen waffles and in baking mixes and, and things like that. How did you get into the, uh, pancake and waffle biz? So, um, th- yeah, this whole thing was actually my mom's idea. <laughs> so when I was, uh, when I was growing up, she was way into whole grains and healthy eating. I mean, everything we ate was green and brown, my sister used to say. And so we would, you know, we didn't always appreciate that growing up. Um, but now, I mean, now I do for sure. But back in the day, she made these, these great pancakes and they were all whole wheat and she would grind her own wheat. And then, um, she always wanted to sell it. She always wanted to make a product out of it and sell it. And cause she just thought there were, there was a need for more healthy, whole grain options. And so she made these little homemade um, pancake mixes in brown paper lunch sacks. And she hand wrote on the bags how to make it. And then I I put them in this little wagon we had and I went around the neighborhood and sold them to the neighbors. And um, that's really, that's like the early roots of Kodiak cakes. And then years later, we didn't like keep going with it at the time, but years later in the mid nineties, my older brother, John was talking to my mom and he's like, Hey, I want to start a company. And my mom said, well, why didn't you do something with the pancakes? And so he, he loved the idea. So my brother, John, um, started experimenting with 
whole grains and took her recipe and, and turned it into a product and um, created the brand Kodiak Cakes and asked me to help him start selling it. So he and I went out, started selling in you know ski towns like Park City, where we are today, and then like Jackson, Wyoming and Sun Valley, Idaho. So that, I mean, that's really how we got started. What did you, what did you call it when you were just selling it for your mom? I missed the question one more time. Oh, what did you call uh, the pancake mix when you were just selling it for your mom? <laughs> yeah, I don't think we had a name for it at the time. It was just a, uh, just a whole wheat pancake mix. And in fact, I think my mom just wrote on the back. She, you know, I think I said that she hand wrote like the instructions of how to make it. But I think I, I literally think she just wrote something like whole, you know, whole wheat pancake mix, or maybe it was like Penny's whole wheat pancake mix. I can't remember. Were, how old were you? I was eight years old. And you were going <laughs> knocking on doors? Yeah, I was knocking on the neighbor's doors and selling these little pancake mixes. And I had one guy, so I sold them all. And then I had one guy um, call me back. He's like, hey, I want some more of that. That was awesome. Um, and so, you know, we, we made some more and, and sold them. <laughs> how did you, and what was the thinking behind the name? You know, I think my brother, um, when my brother John, when he was when he was creating the brand and starting the company, he wanted something that was um, rustic, that was a little bit outdoorsy, um, that had a like kind of a, a wholesome, uh, natural feel to it. And it was really, I think, it came up um, from a brainstorm. He and my other brother were talking about what to call it one day, and my one brother was like, "Hey, why don't you call it Bear Cakes?" And then John, the one who started the company, liked the idea. And he's like, actually, that's a good idea. Why don't we call it Kodiak Cakes? It has a little more of a ring to it. And we, we grew up my, we grew up hearing stories that my dad would tell us all the time. He, he lived in Alaska on a survey crew in the late 50s, right out of high school in the summers. And so he would tell us all these stories about bears and Kodiak bears. And, you know, and, and we did a lot of fishing and outdoor stuff growing up. And so it just kind of made sense. And that's kind of how it came up. And how did, so how did that go from, you know, oh, we want to start something, let's sort of, what kind of project should we take on to, to a full-fledged sort of incorporated business? Yeah, it, it was a, it was a lot of years of just kind of bootstrapping. I mean, really, so John, my brother ran it for two years and at the, it was a lot of kind of gift shop business and like, you know, UPSing a case here, a case there while he, and he was doing it on the side, he had another job. And then he had he managed to get uh, the product in. And we just had one SKU at the time as well. And he managed to get that into QFC stores up in Seattle. And so that was kind of the first real uh, uh, significant grocery store chain to take it. And then in, in, in the end of 1997, John came to me and he's like, hey, Joel, I, uh, I want to go back to graduate school. And I just don't have time to keep doing this. Do you want to take it over? And I'm like, yeah, I want to do it. So, and I was like 23 at the time. I was going to college, and and I always wanted to do something entrepreneurial. Had no idea I'd be selling pancake mix, but um, but it sounded fun, and I, I wanted to, and you know, I had some family ties, and I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So, I took it over, and and I bootstrapped it for seven years on the side, <laughs> at night while I was finishing school, went to graduate school, and then did, you know, another job, and then. Finally, in 2004 is when I really quit my job and just jumped into this thing after, you know, and, and I had at the time I got Safeway nationally to carry the product and we were still one skew brand at the time. And I thought, man, I think I can live on that. So I quit my job and I jumped in 
And my dad helped me. He started helping me. He was like out of retirement. He was 65. <laughs> and I think he felt bad for me at first. And then he saw a really cool business opportunity out of this. And so he and I worked together for, gosh, almost five years. And then, you know, we built the company. We were still under a million when he left. We were just about 900,000. And then in 2009, I hired Cameron, who's our COO and has become a co-founder. And then from there, he and I just kept that momentum that my dad and I built. And we just really started to see great momentum over the last few years. And what changed? What changed uh, over the last few years? What what has been sort of picking up for you or what have you been thinking about differently or how have you approached things differently to, to get uh, what I imagine is pretty awesome growth? Yes. Um, well, yeah, I think a lot of things we, we kept, we, we, my dad and I had pretty good momentum, you know, but you, we were, we went from like 150,000 in total revenue to about 900,000 when he left. So, you know, but still super small. So Cameron came in and Cameron was right out of school, really young, um, not a lot of experience, but just didn't care. He's just one of these guys that just can dive in, not know a whole lot and just figure it out. He's really proactive. So he and I just kept this momentum going and, and um, we really felt the need to innovate and just to figure out how to innovate and get really some new products. And so we started working on new products. And in 2014, um, that really became, I'd say, an inflection year for us. So prior to that, between 2009 and 2014, we were just just plugging away, you know, nose to the grindstone, building distribution. We got target stores to carry our product. And I think that was that was definitely a big part of the evolution. So they took our product on in 2012. And then it just in like um, about uh, 40 stores. And then they rolled us out nationally either end of 2012 or early 2013. And by the way, to get that, I just got to tell you this, Billy, to get that order out the door, that was really hard. When they took us nationally, I had the, the, the order was like $250,000 and man, we were, we, we were really bootstrapping. So I, we didn't have the money for the order. And so I had to go to my dad. I'm like, Hey dad, I got this big order. I need some money. And my dad, I mean, he, he wasn't like a rich guy. He, he had his house paid off in a credit line. So he lent us the money <laughs> to get this order done and we got it out the door and, and, you know, we paid him back. But, um, so we had some pretty good distribution leading into 2014. Anyway, 2014 comes along and we went on Shark Tank that year and that was in April. And that really just, that became a huge kind of exposure boost for us. Just like, a, I don't know, just a momentum booster. And then two months after that is when we launched Power Cakes and that's our high protein line. And, and that just took off. So we had this great momentum from, from um, Shark Tank. And then Power Cakes goes in and over the next six months at Target, it became the number one selling um, product in the category, the pancake category by 20%. So it was beating out um, the, the previous number one product by 20% and it just grew the category like crazy. So that was like where, that's really where we started to see like explosive momentum and we've just kind of carried that on since then. What was the Shark Tank experience like? Did anyone back you? Well, we got offers. Um, Kevin, Kevin made us an offer and Robert did, but man, they lowballed the crap out of us. So we were like, uh, we're not doing that. So we, we ended up walking off the show and, and just hoping that we'd still get aired, you know? And so we were fortunate that they still aired us and, you know, they, but it was a great experience. I mean, the whole experience was, 
was awesome. And we, we, you know, later we're like, man, that's the kind of stuff that happens to other people. And, and it actually happened to us. <laughs> and, um, but we, man, we were so grateful to get that because it, it really was just great. Uh, you know, so many people watch the show and, and so it was really powerful in terms of what it did for brand awareness for us. Did you think about that going into it? Did you think about, hey, this is going to be a great marketing opportunity? Or were you thinking like, hey, we actually need the funding? Both really. I mean, we we absolutely knew about the marketing opportunity. In fact, we, I mean, that was something we had hoped for. We were hoping prior to that, we were hoping we needed like a big, you know, publicity stunt or something. We needed some marketing. We needed some exposure. So yeah, we, we, we wanted that. But we also, um, we also were sincere about raising capital. We we, we knew at some point we would need to raise capital. And so going into the show, we, but we also knew that we could get lowballed. So we walked into the show. Our strategy was kind of like, look, if we can get pretty darn close to what we're asking for, we'll take a deal. But if we get lowballed way too, you know, too much, we're not going to do it. And so, um, you know, that's what happened. It's funny the, the offer started coming, like when, when Kevin made the offer and then when Robert made the offer. It's like all of a sudden I, I, I started to feel like, okay, this is, that, that makes it easy. We need, we need to just walk. We need to walk off this show and, and hope for the publicity because this is not going to be good. You go into a deal where it's so um, one-sided, that's just a bad way to do business. So it kind of made it easy to make that decision. How big, how big was the company at that time? How much uh, sales were you doing? Yeah, so in 2000... Let's see, 2014, we did 3.8 million. Just to give you some context. Yeah, so we did 3.8 million that year. So we, you know, we were still pretty small, but the year before that, we had done two and a half. Um, and then the year before that, we had done 1.4. So we had been growing, you know, really great momentum. And then the year after that, in 2015, um, we did, let's see, I think we did like 6.7. Wow. Yeah. So then we, you know, then we just kept on growing. And how, you know, uh, pancake mix is, is not a new category and it's a pretty competitive category. If you sort of go to your local grocery store, how do you, how do you think about competition? How do you stand out on the shelf? We our our positioning is actually really strong. And so, um, what's funny is the pancake category hadn't really changed for many, many years. I mean, it kind of just was stagnant. And a lot of the same brands were in there selling the same stuff year over year, you know. And we came into the pancake category with a whole grain niche. So everything we do is 100% whole grain going after the healthier angle. But we wanted it to taste good because, if you know, no one cares if it doesn't taste good. So we were going after whole grain, really good taste, and convenience with add water only. So when we first went into the category, even that was pretty good positioning. There wasn't a, There weren't other... Um, healthy whole grain, 100% whole grain products that were add water only that tasted good. And so we had pretty good positioning then, but it just wasn't explosive, you know, then in, but then when we launched power cakes in 2014, that actually became explosive. And, and, and it was the protein angle that people, it just took off. And it's funny that we trademarked power cakes in 2012 but we sat on it. Like we were on the fence about whether to launch it for a couple of years because we just didn't know if protein could be that big, you know, or if it was just too niche. So we sat on it for a while and then finally launched and, and, and it obviously, you know, people loved it and, and, and it was a, a mainstream idea that, that took off. 
And do you sell those in the protein section or do you sell those in the pancake section? Yeah, mainstream pancake section. In fact, our strategy always was, even from the beginning, we always believed that because, um, you know, it used to be even when we started out in the mid 90s, it used to be that healthier natural options were not they were in a different set. They were often in a natural set or, you know, away from the so-called mainstream sets. And our like our theory from the beginning was, hey, we think this is good enough to be in the mainstream set. And we think that, you know, anybody, whether they're trying to eat healthier or not, they'll love the product. And then when they find out, hey, it's actually really healthy for me then they'll love it even more. And so that was always our theory. So we always pushed on being in the mainstream sets. And I think that that really was to our benefit. Okay. So 2014, you walked away from the Shark Tank offers. How have you, how have you funded the business so far? It sounds like you were bootstrapped for a long time. Did you ever yeah. sort of start to approach fundraising? Yeah, we finally did. And in 2016, we took some capital, like a pretty, you know, a pretty significant private equity round. It was our first round ever, you know, but, but it was, we took on a pretty significant private equity round from a, a food focused um, group called Sunrise. And, um, and yeah, we had bootstrapped the whole time from them. And, and could we have kept going without, yeah, I think we could have kept going. We were profitable. We were making money, but we were growing so fast that we, we really felt the need to take on some, some capital, bring on a partner. For a few reasons, obviously financially that made sense, and we we needed some. We felt like we needed some fuel in the tank to continue to fund the growth, but but also um, just in terms of expertise and helping us um, really scale, and um, and they've been like great partners for that, and they've helped us a lot. They've really brought a lot of vision to the table and and helped us um, think think about how to scale, and 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 then I think another thing they really did is. I think just even for me personally and all of us really have helped us just in our own personal development and personal growth. And like, you know, for me, just making that transition from, you know, running a little small business to needing to become a CEO and, and to grow and develop so I can continue to lead the business as it grows. And that, that was a, that was a really interesting and sometimes really hard and, you know, transition. Uh, something that I totally underestimated. And has that accelerated your growth or your progress? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like unbelievable. I, I feel like over the last two years, it's like, I mean, look, I've been doing this. I told you, I've been doing this since college, right? Since 23. And, and so basically that's 20 years. So like I just gave away my age, I'm 43. So I've been doing this for 20 years, but over the last two years, I feel like that's where the most concentrated growth and development has been for me and i'd say for you know probably anybody who who was here before and is here now i think all of us the whole entire team we've all grown and developed but but yeah i, I have man it's stretched me like crazy and i think and and I, and i'm not sure if i felt or believed that i was up to the task but um these guys our our private equity guys have been so supportive and just have believed in me and in the team and and that has helped. And I think, gosh, I think we, we've come a long ways, you know, and I think we're, we're, I think we can keep scaling with it. Do you, do you remember how much you sold it for when you were selling it door to door? Yeah. You know, I want to say it was, I, I kind of want to say it was like two bucks or something, you know, <laughs> that's all I can remember. I, I want to say it was like two bucks. <laughs> and and what, and what, uh, how did you think about pricing it when you sort of started to take off? How, how did you think about the pricing in the market and the pricing of your product? 
We never wanted to compete on price. And in really small businesses, emerging brands can't. I mean, you, 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 you shouldn't, you know, and you don't have the scale to really do it. So you really have to compete on quality and unique positioning and, and aspects of your product that, that really add value so that consumers want to pay. And what, what I think is interesting, there's an interesting dynamic in food right now. I mean, people ta- are talking a lot about the food revolution. But you see it happening a lot. So going into the pancake category, for example. So when we first entered the category, most pancake mixes were pro- about $1.99. And we went on the shelf at $3.99 originally. And then not, yeah, about $3.99. And then over the next couple of years, we, we went up to about $4.99. And that became our price point. So we were always around twice and maybe a little bit more than that to all what, to what the other pancake mixes were. And more and more over time, people are becoming more and more willing to pay more for a great product that has awesome ingredients and that is healthier and better for you. And so that was a great, I'm glad we positioned it that way. And we never went away from that. And, and that, and you're seeing that in more categories across the grocery stores now where um, products are going in and kind of reinvigorating it as people care more about food and are willing to pay more. Yeah, I think the same thing is happening in ice cream and in snacks and people are starting to care more and more about how things are made and they're willing to pay for it, just like you yeah, said. Absolutely. And what are you uh, working on today? What does your day-to-day look like? Um, a lot of time on, well, yeah, now a lot of time on culture and recruiting. And, and I think I underestimated, um, you know, how much time I'd be spending on culture. And I think that's, that's going to be our lifeblood. I think that will help us to be sustainable. You know, if we can, can, if we can continue to build a really great culture, we have a really good culture here at Kodiak Cakes. It's really open. It's, it's empowering. It's, um, collaborative, and um, we got a really, you know, really young team, so we we, we have to empower people, and, and I think that has been a real key to success. You know, you don't want to. We've never been like a top down, like you got to do it this way, you got to do it that way. We've been a lot more about, hey, what can we get out of everybody? What, how can we get everyone's best thoughts and best input? And um, you know, it's a it's a great down to earth place where you know we're it's where people are supportive of each other and. So I think I think I spent a lot of time on that and then a lot of time on innovation because I think over the next few years our our innovation is innovation pipeline is really going to be a huge key to help us sustain our growth like what what new categories can we get into right and and do the same thing that we've done in the pancake category in other categories so I spent a lot of time on that and how big is the team now we are I think we're about 53 now total and are they all in Park City? Mostly. I think we are probably about 40, 42 in Park City. And then we have some remote people. Uh, a lot of salespeople are living in different, you know, different areas, different cities working from, from different regions. So that's actually worked out pretty well. And are there any, what are the challenges you're thinking about now? What are the things sort of keeping you up at night or bugging you? Well, you know, um, yeah, that's an easy one. <laughs> A big one right now is um, capacity. So, and and I and I honestly never, I, I could, that that kind of blindsided me a little bit. I never really thought we'd be in a situation where we couldn't produce enough of a product. Like, holy cow! Like, I, but yeah, I mean, I'd rather have that product, that problem, than 
not being able to sell enough. So we feel really lucky that way. But it has been hard. We, we got into the frozen waffle business about um, not quite a year ago. And that's really, really taking off. And um, But yeah, being able to produce enough frozen waffles has been a real challenge. Um, that's been... But but we're getting there. We're getting it resolved. But that was really hard, and that that has been very stressful. the The CPG industry in general has shifted uh, a little bit, as you know, from from the classic distribution channels of of the supermarkets to sort of a direct to consumer model. How do yeah. you think about that? How do you balance that in your business? We um, yeah, about two to three years ago, probably closer to three years ago, we thought a lot about that. And we decided to make e-commerce a, like a real strategy and a channel that we wanted to build and develop. And, and I'm glad we started on it then. I mean, we had, we'd been selling on our own website, right. For a lot of, for quite a long time, but we didn't really have a, a channel strategy for e-commerce. And so the last, over the last few years, we started to really do that. And we, we brought on a, a person to do that named Nick and Nick is awesome. He's really been building out our whole e-commerce channel and I'll just tell you, it has blown me away at how fast that channel's growing. And and I think I completely underestimated what we would be doing online. It was kind of weird to think for me, it was weird to think that people would be ordering groceries and having them shipped. That just didn't it just it just didn't make a lot of sense to me. But um it you know, it it does. It does I, I get it. And um it's growing like really, really fast. So it'll become more and more a big, a more, it'll become a bigger and bigger part of our business for sure. And what is some uh, advice that you wish someone had given you uh, sort of in, in the early 2000s when you were getting started? What's some advice that you have uh, for someone getting into the consumer space today? Well, I think, gosh, I think one thing that I would say to people is to stick it out. You've got to hang in there long enough because I think, um, man, I almost quit this business so many times and we almost shut it down so many times because it was taking us so long to break through and to get momentum and growth. And, um, I think I kind of, it would have been nice to maybe hear from other people saying, Hey, Joel, look, don't worry. You, you need to, you need to hang in there. It's because what you do, you worry about so many things. Like I remember sitting there thinking to myself, for so many years, man, am I just chasing a dumb dream that's never going to go anywhere? Am I just wasting my time and wasting my career building years? You know, your your twenties and early thirties are real um, career building years, and 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 I I remember being really worried about that and thinking, man, if I have to leave this thing and you know I'm late thirties or whatever, that that that's going to that could be tough. And if it doesn't work and I got to go kind of start over, that would be really hard. Um, but I think, um, but you know, it's also, it's fine. I mean, I think it's, you can figure it out if you have to. And so I think just that encouragement to, Hey, don't worry, hang in there. It might take longer than you think. And it probably will. Um, it would be good advice. And I think you just have to stick it out and you got to You have to find awesome, awesome people. We hear that all the time, right? That gets like oversaid, but it, it, it doesn't matter. It, it cannot be overstated, I don't think, because you have to find people that will help you and you have to be able to give them reins. Like, don't be in control of everything. Entrepreneurs sometimes want to be in control of everything because it was their original idea and they love the creativity, right? We love that. But you got to like, you have to take some of the emotion out 
and start to get a little bit more objective about your business and find people that are awesome, that want to contribute and then let them contribute and, and they will help you build your business. Great advice. Um, the, so the, the Kellogg's and the Coca-Cola's and the Unilever's and P and G's of the world Mm -hmm. have sort of shifted from being food companies into being private equity companies. Do you, you see, you know, companies like yours getting bought up, uh, sort of every couple months, what would you, what would you consider a, a successful outcome for your business in five or 10 years? Or do you just want to run this thing forever? Oh, man. Question, it's a question that I still ask myself like all the time. I, I don't know. There are times where I kind of think, man, I don't know if I could do this forever. The pace that, that we're going is, is really fast and, and it, it's hard. You know, it's, it's hard. It's also incredibly fun. Like it's dynamic and there's so much energy and it's a ton of fun. I think the, the thing I care the most about right now is seeing the best outcome for the team, for the employees here. And if that mean, and, and, and by the way, everyone is an owner here. We, we, we did um, issue equity to every, um, every full-time employee here at Kodiak Cake. So that, that was cool. So everyone's able to kind of share some of the upside of building a business that, of, of what they're building, which is awesome. But so I don't know. I mean, I think I could see, I could see a situation where we do sell at some point to a, a bigger company and maybe they could help us continue to grow. I think they do bring a lot to the table and in terms of operations, in terms of scaling, um, product development, things like that. Uh, but I don't know, we don't have anything right now, but I think, um, I think our biggest focus will be what's the best outcome for, you know, the, the people here and what, what will help everyone, you know, we care a lot about careers. Could that be interesting for people and their growth and development? So I don't know, not, not a great answer for you, Billy, but, but, um, but, you know, we're thinking about that and we, we ask ourselves that all the time. And how are you liking Utah as your sort of founding market? Yeah, Utah has been great, actually. It's awesome. We're up here in Park City. It's a ski town not that far from Salt Lake. And it is such a fun place to have a brand. We actually moved up here originally out of a little bit of necessity because I moved to a small town not too far from here called Midway. Cameron, our COO, he did the same thing. So we kind of split the commute from Salt Lake and Park City or Midway which is right in Park City. And it has just become such a great point for our brand. And it just, it, you know, it embodies who we are. We're, out, we're outdoor people. We love to be outside hiking and mountain biking. And so it's really fun. Like during the day, you'll see people at lunch, you'll see people, a whole bunch of mountain bikes are always showing up in the parking lot. People will head out for a bike ride or out for a run. And then in the winter, you know, so many people ski and snowboard. And so it has just been, I mean, it has really been awesome being here in Park City. Yeah, it's it's one of the most beautiful places on the planet yeah, uh, for those that haven't been. Um, okay, now we're going to get into some fun questions. Okay. If you could choose anyone in the world to represent Kodiak Cakes, who would it be and why? <laughs> uh, that's that's a hard one. I, I, I you know, I would choose um, yeah, a few people come to mind, but I mean, one one that comes to mind is Kevin Costner. I, you know, we had a chance to go, Cameron and I had a chance to go um, be on a set. He called us up out of the blue a few years ago and said, hey, I love your pancake mix. And he's like, and he's like, I'm a fan. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, I'm the fan. I'm a fan. You know, like he had this movie um, called Silverado, this cowboy show from the 80s. And I loved watching that when I was growing up. It was like my favorite movie. 
And I love, he was like my favorite character in it too. So anyways, we went out there, we got to meet him. He's such a cool guy. And I, I think he's, he, I like him because he, he can be this kind of, you know, rustic mountain man, cowboy type of guy, but then he can be kind of just a cool, um, you know, cool guy in today's world. And so he kind of does that. And I think, you know, Kodiak cakes is that we have like this old school retro frontier feel, but yet then we have this like totally hip and, um, current feel too, with like protein and what we're doing for people today. So I, I like that. And I think he's just a good guy. He's a nice guy. And, um, you know, I think he could, you need to, you awesome. need to shoot that ad. You need to shoot that ad. That'd <laughs> be sweet, right? He has the same initials. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. That's exactly right. KC, be, man. He would be perfect. When you said Kevin Costner, I immediately understood why. <laughs> and not knowing he was a fan. If he's a fan, just say, hey, will you shoot this thing for us for free? Oh, man. We got to do something. We got to do something there. Uh, what is on your bucket list? Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I'd say like fishing. Like, hey, this is, I mean, look, we're named Kodiak Cakes, right? I've never been to Kodiak Island. And um, I think this is my brother's too, my brother, John, <laughs> I think it's on his too, but going fishing in Kodiak Island would be awesome. And I've still never done it. And we, we literally talk about it like every year we need to go up to Kodiak Island this year and go fishing. And then we never do. So, you know, I got to do it. I got to get that done. Joel, I'm knocking two things off of this right now, off of this fun part of the pod. You, <laughs> you have an ad with Kevin Costner in Kodiak Island. There you go. Yeah. Yes. Done. I like done. Yes. So easy. Totally done. I um, love it. If you weren't uh, selling pancakes, what would you be doing? I'd be selling. Oh, that's an easy one. Um, I'd be selling. I'd be selling classic cars, or importing random cars. Like I still do it. It's like a hobby of mine. I import like old Land Rovers from Europe, England. Um, I've done some weird like Nissan Safaris from Japan. And, um, that is like, I love old cars and weird random cars. I bought and sold cars in college. Like when Kodiak cakes was struggling in the early days, I bought and sold a lot of cars just for extra money. And now it's just become this hobby. It's so fun. So I'd be doing something in old cars for sure. Do you soup them up a little bit? Yeah. I'll, I, I don't do crazy stuff. I try to find stuff that's pretty stock and then I'll, but in really good shape, but then I'll just do little things. Like I'll put lifts on them sometimes and bigger tires um, and then, but I like, I like generally more stock stuff. That's just unique because it's older, but in awesome shape. That's the kind of my favorite type of stuff. All right. You're about to go on an off-road safari through Kodiak Island and yeah. you get, you get to bring one car. What, what is it? Uh, yeah, it, you know, uh, it would have to be like an old Land Rover Defender. Those things are just, oh, they're just awesome. You know, they look cool. They're functional. They're very utilitarian. You can, you can kind of beat the crap out of them. You can put mud in them and spray them out with a hose. And those things are just awesome. I love those cars. And last question, do you have anything to plug? <laughs> it, where, where can people buy it? Where can people okay, buy Kodiak I, I do cakes? have, yes. I do want to shamelessly plug Kodiak cakes, right? Why not? Um, yeah, you, I mean, Kodiak cakes are kind of all over now. You can get them in Target, Kroger, um, you know, Costco. Most grocery stores have Kodiak cakes, so you know, just go in there and try it. It's it's awesome. You'll be you'll be converted, I think. And it's kodiakcakes.com. Yeah, you got it. And at Kodiak Cakes on Instagram. Yep. That's right. Okay. Yeah, everyone, they are delicious. Uh, we are big fans of them uh, in the Draper household and we awesome. 
they're ridiculously easy to make um, and delicious. Yes. And whenever we have guests for brunch or breakfast, they're always commenting on them. So nice. I know they're good. That's great. <laughs> um, anyway, Joel, thank you uh, so much for coming on. Uh, I hugely appreciate it. it and uh, congrats on all the success and, and good luck in the future. Appreciate that, Billy. Thanks for having me. Thank you everyone so much for listening. I really, really uh, appreciate it. I'm having so much fun making these things. Thank you, Joel, for coming on the show. Um, everyone enjoy your Tuesday. Enjoy the rest of your week. And I will talk to you next week.